This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined, welcome back, Mawera Karatai. Kia ora, Sam. How's it going? It's going very well indeed. And you're you're alive and breathing and here? Yes. Um, there was a time where I wondered if, um, because breathing was not always very easy through COVID, uh, but I managed to stay out of hospital because of some clever intervention from my GP, uh, and I'm really glad uh, to be back, but I'm still coughing a bit and sound funny than usual. <laughs> and definitely not just a cold. No, definitely not just a cold. Do you know what's really weird, Sam, is that everyone I know who's had it has experienced it in a different way. Yeah, that's been the, the odd thing about this. Mm, definitely not just a cold. And who are we introducing today? Today it is my great pleasure to introduce James Smeaton, who is coming to us from Canada. And I've known James for, I don't know, maybe 10-ish years. We met on Facebook through a mutual friend and have been friends. For, and we've chatted on and off over all these years. But the extraordinary thing is that James is a photographer and I've watched his entire life unfold before my <laughs> eyes, and I know I know him through his lens. And so it's a and I'm looking forward to meeting him in the real world next year. But welcome, James. It's great to be here. Thank you for such a wonderful introduction. It's very kind. Where are you, James? I'm located in Antigonish, Nova Scotia. So this is kind of the northeast corner of Nova Scotia. I'm in a sleepy university town that plays home to St. Francis Xavier University. It's about 15,000 people. Uh, I came here from Gander, Newfoundland, another small town, my hometown where I was born and raised, to go to university. And then after attaining my two undergraduate degrees, I decided to drop anchor and stay here because I really did love the small town life and the pace. And maybe that speaks to a little bit of like where I came from. But I also think that they've got a, they've got a pretty special thing going on here in Antigonish. Um, particularly what attracted me was the idea that the participation that you show in the social fabric of the community really accrues, uh, uh, that if I'm right now in my office, if I was to leave my office and walk down to the bank, I could pretty much guarantee I wouldn't be able to do it without running into somebody that I know and having like a quick five, 10 minute chat. And, and that really pretty important to me because I, uh, I've, I've had the opportunity to go to much more urban areas, higher population areas, and I, I like knowing the people that I'm walking by. Even if I don't know who they are specifically, I really enjoy just familiar faces. What is the history of Anaganesh? So Anaganesh uh, 
while I'm no expert on it, goes back probably to about the 1700s, uh, towards the later kind of part of that. And uh, certainly we have uh, indigenous population that's been here a lot longer than that. So uh, the term Antigonish, uh, I believe, is a, is a derivative of the Mi'kmaq language. And I believe it has to do with where the bears come to scratch the trees. <laughs> Like that, that was the, that was a loose kind of like me, but largely a farming and fishing village that ended up being uh, the local hub for the diocese. Uh, so we have a big cathedral here that then I think operated as a bit of a magnet to go and create the university. And then a lot of administrative related stuff has centered around this community because of all that things. Like we have a we have a hospital here that's pretty big, too. And how has the pandemic experience been there? Well, I I get to report that it was not so bad. Uh, a couple different reasons. Uh, even during lockdown, we were still able to kind of get out to the forests and rivers and the beaches that are around here and, and still go and experience nature. And when the lockdowns weren't in like kind of a severe kind of place, then you generally would go and have like a sister family or two that you'd be able to go and meet up at that beach. And the nature of my work, uh, while I'm a photographer, I also do uh, a lot of marketing work. I was able to do that work from home. And so luckily I was not impacted economically. And then my wife, Robin, uh, works at the university as an administrator. She was able to do her work remotely. So it was kind of, a call to go to nature was a call to focus on family and, and, and the relationships and dynamics inside the family. And for that, I feel like there was a lot of there was a lot of positive growth in terms of uh, of just really getting back to simpler, simpler living where you just you don't have that kind of like, let's go to this far off destination. Like so we actually really got to take stock of just how lucky we are to live in a small uh, town. And then also, I think because that social fabric that I referred to before is so tight, I think you saw a fairly healthy adoption of all the best in class kind of practices around the pandemic. So we, we had people generally, for the most part, taking it pretty serious from the moment go. And so our, our numbers here kind of remained some of the best in Canada for a long, long time. And as a matter of fact, it was only last December, December of 2021, that we had our first real outbreak per se and that was associated with the university uh event where we give out x-rings so saint francis xavier university has an x-ring as their as their kind of graduation ring and so during that celebration there was sort of a laxed adoption of the rules by by some of the students by some of the faculty and stuff like that and that ended up leading to uh, Christmas not being super great because a lot, a lot of the queue was in lockdown and things like that. So uh, there's a sh uh, sort of a brief summary of the pandemic <laughs> in Hanish. So let's take the first of your music choices. Let's have a cloud control just for now. Why this one? It means a lot to me because um, these particular lyrics make me think about just how brief uh the time can be with the people that you love and certainly the pandemic shines an extra light on that uh i experienced the greatest time away from my family that i ever had for my entire life during the pandemic and so i think if you listen to this song right here and you just think about you think about the the people that you love and and just being able to go and share a special moment or two with them and really let that kind of seep deep into your soul <laughs> 
let's go out and make the road shake. I've got love to make, and I've got to leave the morning light. I've got a book to write. Leather bound in my feathered hand to make you understand. To make you understand that it's just for now. It's just for now. Twenty years on a steady slope. I'm all out of hope. Never thought that we'd come this far. No matter where you are. There's one thing that you should know. That is just for now. It's just for now. It's just for now. Hey, it's just for now. James, photographer, how did the pandemic affect that work? I was really great for it because it just meant that I had all the excuses necessary to go and basically spend time wandering around in nature, taking pictures of, <laughs> you know, 
I, uh, some of my photography is macro photography, uh, which is to say really close up photography of really small things. And so you can take a, a small 50 by 50 foot section of forest and with a macro lens, you might have subject matter that can, you could get 10 really stunning images and find dramas that you might not otherwise go and expect by, by simply getting down on your hands and knees. Well, that's the other side of it too. I will be one of these guys that's wearing snow pants in June and not for sake of the snow, but because it allows me to just get down in the dirt with, with that macro lens and, and really start to reveal all kinds of aspects of life that if you're moving a little bit too quick, you might drive by and not recognize all those little tiny procedures that are operating that actually lead to the bigger things as it turns out. So for example, I have a river valley uh, near my home that has waterfalls. And along that river valley, because it's quite steep, the, the trees there have not been harvested for years and years and years, which meant they've been able to, they've been able to rot when they fall. And in that rot, they've created a nursery for so many species, in this particular case of mushrooms, that I've been unable to go and replicate the experience I've had there in any kind of like uh, other river areas that I've been to, because we just haven't, we haven't let the forest do its full, its full thing, its full life cycle. And uh, during the pandemic, being able to kind of wander those spaces and, and not have as a... Um, uh, demanding schedule, you know, like when you can do things remotely as we're doing right now, uh, then that goes and gives you your flexibility, you know, bring the wife and, and, and my daughter in tow and you've got yourself a, a pretty happy camper here anyway. <laughs> I think I would be the person joining you just off the forest track lying on the floor. I'm a botanist. <laughs> so, oh, really? Okay. So I, I can similarly be quite entertained in a very small patch looking at how the plant seedlings are fighting for space or light and things. And it, it really is a wonderful thing to try and, and capture that sort of thing, isn't it? Well, if I could share with you one example, uh, I came across a stump that was fairly innocuous most of the time that I passed by it. But this past fall, I noticed these um, little pink, almost looked like little bubble gum kind of things forming on it. Now, these are known as pink slime molds. And so I, I did the research after I took the pictures to kind of discover what are these. And uh, it was quite fascinating to kind of learn that they exist in a little bit of a world all their own, that the DNA that they have is a little bit more akin to animal than it is to plant in terms of how they go and operate. And uh, yeah, it was just fascinating to sort of go through a forest that I've walked through for years and years and years, discover a whole brand new phenomenon that had not existed anywhere else, and then head to the internet and YouTube and then be educated by all these wonderful people, uh, maybe such as yourself, that took the time to go and put together, you know, like a really beautiful 12-minute video to let me know uh, all about the world of slime molds. <laughs> so the other end of your work is the, the work you're doing for marketing. Has, has the pandemic changed people's expectations and, and the I suppose it's the reality they're living? Are you seeing that reflected in how we're communicating so it drove so much attention towards uh what people could access virtually so even think about uh restaurants a lot of times they want to then have their menus available virtually uh this this took qr codes 
as just a great example from being fairly obscure to now being standard practice. I was actually one of the people for years that said, what's the point of using these QR codes? Because uh, for the most part, nobody knew how to deal with them. And as soon as you wanted to go hands-free and people understood that just flipping to your camera app in your phone and just pointing it at a QR code will then go and launch the associated web page. Well, then for guys like me, that became another core mechanism where you can start integrating that into different different promotional vehicles, whether that's a poster, a menu, uh, or signage somewhere. Uh, so there's been a growth of people integrating QR codes into public spaces that will then allow you to go and access a more detailed kind of history uh, or again, a little bit more about the flora and fauna of the area. And so that, that was pretty neat. Uh, and then just from a marketing kind of standpoint, a lot of people had time to look at themselves during the pandemic. So I started to get a lot of clients reaching out to me uh, that were saying, I think it's time to go and upgrade our website. If it's time to go and look at our logo, let's, let's go and redo that brochure uh, because there was a pause for people to reflect on how are we presenting ourselves to the world now that that one channel or those fewer channels are, are what they have then essentially people like me were called in to say hey if, if you are if you are available we would now like to go and see this stuff get uh, an update get a refresher during the the st- immediately at the start of the pandemic it was very noticeable the the adverts that were filmed pre pre-pandemic because all people like sitting close to each other or talking to each other close by and that was really weird during the lockdown thing where that wasn't happening but then it got a bit more sort of more nuance came into it I think that it was much more about it wasn't about things it was about experiences and family and and things and the messages that people were were were, were telling did you notice that kind of trend so maybe to a lesser extent, only because I live in such a low population area where a lot of my work is not necessarily with big, big companies. I, I'm working with a lot of smaller uh, kind of businesses. So I wouldn't be able to kind of say that I noticed that a great deal. Uh, if anything, there was a just a big focus on conveying to people where your business or organization was at with COVID level protocols. I think that people were in a place where they wanted to kind of see, A, are you still operating? And B, if you still are operating, what steps are you taking to kind of make us safer? And uh, and then what kind of protocols should we expect? So, for example, I do do a lot of work with accommodations providers. And that was one of the big things there was like, if if we are going to open up, how do we go and let people know how we're going to do that in a way that's safe uh, and, and hopefully goes and respects everybody's you know space and security and things like that. And similarly with things like weddings, weddings didn't happen for a while and then they just happened mm-hmm. with smaller numbers and things. Did you do any of that sort of photography during the, the pandemic? Did you have small weddings that you had to somehow convey as big weddings? I, I don't know. Does... Yeah. So last summer uh, I was able to go and do two weddings uh, in which case uh, because we had such stringent kind of protocols around any kind of cases we were operating here in Nova Scotia as I mentioned before in a place where it was relatively secure the number of cases in our uh, our section of Nova Scotia could be as low as 20 cases right and so when the weddings did happen uh, there was an observation when people were in any kind of uh, dense 
kind of gatherings to go and wear uh, masks and stuff like that. Uh, but there was also an understanding, for example, when I was doing wedding photography, that the masks would be able to go and come off for that period of time. Uh, so it was it was a little bit tricky, and there was a lack of the photo opportunities because uh, when people are masked, there's so much of the emotion and stuff like that that's not conveyed. But for the most part, uh, for the most part, people people are all pretty on board with understanding that hey, if you're if you're really really close to any kind of like large groupings of people, then probably best to go and throw the masks on. But the wedding still happened. I perhaps some of the best photos I've ever taken. Uh, so pretty happy with it. Bubble sprite of the forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mihi aroha nui, kia koutou koutou ho. I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars and your beloved universes. And I really hope wherever you are and whatever's happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very sustaining and illuminating for you more and more each day. Who you are, a triumph of nature's art, perfect unique and here making things better thank you now i know that for all of us the last more than two years have been very tough and we've had to learn so many new ways of doing being seeing feeling and this has taken a toll on us all and so it is so important that at all times we are kind compassionate loving understanding to ourselves and to one another I, of course, have been absolutely overjoyed to be able to return to having events and being part of events. And this is what I have been able to be part of for the last few days with the Wild Dunedin Festival. And of course, with my wonderful band, who I really love, Tahu and Takahe, performing on Sunday and having band practice again for the first time in a very, very long time. So all of these things have filled me with great joy. And of course, this has been a reminder that even when times are tough and even when we are surrounded by challenges, joy is our best friend. If we can remember to summon that joy and that gratitude and that sense of possibility, that sense of energy and vitality, that sense of our own creativity and life force, that sense of the love and support that is pouring in from all directions for us at all times. Of course, this is greatly enlivening and helpful to us. And not only for ourselves, of course, but for those around us, if we can bring back the joy and remind those around us of the present moment, the opportunity to laugh and play and have fun together, the opportunity to see in each other all of that spark of life and energy, all of that excitement, all of that happiness that is there despite all of these things around us. And in this way, by being beacons of light, beacons of joy, being conduits for happiness, conduits for positive change, we can transmute the suffering, we can transmute the pain, we can transmute the discomfort into something much more manageable. And I believe we can all do this. Of course, I feel very fortunate to be able to work with 
the young people of this universe and yesterday we had 130 beautiful young people come and frolic about with us. We were able to meet a beautiful baby Kiwi Dana and then we also had 30 very beautiful tourism students come and visit us, people from all over the world. So of course this was a constant reminder for me in my work that every single person and every single moment, the gift to us, their knowledge, their life experience, their perceptions, their understanding of joy, their understanding of happiness, where their values are, everything about these fellow life forms is just such a rich resource for us in terms of rebuilding our sense of hope, our sense of connection with our beautiful, beautiful world. So I really hope for you at this time, you're having the opportunity to allow yourself to really be in the moment, to unburden yourself of all the stress and strain from the last two years, to allow yourself to have fun and to take pleasure in being with those around you, to give yourself what you need to find that joy again doing whatever it is that makes you laugh, that makes you smile, that gives you a sense of who you are, this beautiful free being, this beautiful, beautiful, unique, precious triumph of nature's art, all these things that you are, remembering that, reveling in it and celebrating it. I hope that you're finding those things today and I'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much. Kakite. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with James Smeaton. James, we've talked to a few photographers uh, over the last couple of years on a show, and um, and I'll ask the same question of you that I ask of all of them, because there's this one thing that all of you do that blows my mind, and that is that you always seem to know the moment before the moment happens, because it, you have to, to make the decision to click the button right then. So what's the process? How does that actually happen in your brain that you know before it happens that it's going to? So one of the things I would share is that being a photographer is about being a great observer overall. So pretty much, I guess it's because I've been taking photos for so long. I'm, I'm always analyzing a scenario where genuine happiness and joy or a particular cross-section of events goes and happens in terms of... Uh, for example, my dog, and I've had a lot of animals over the years, and they've actually been the greatest opportunity to learn how to take pictures, kind of like to be prepared for when the moment happens, because they won't listen to you. So, so you, whenever you're trying to take dog pictures, even a lot of time children photos, and I've done family shoots over the years, like you better be ready. And to a certain extent, some of the wedding experience that I've had also goes into that. You can't interrupt the wedding. Uh, like, so you have to really just analyze where movement is happening, uh, trying to kind of assess trajectories, as well as weighing in where light sources are and how that might go and affect things. And even considering the speed of movement, because you will adjust your shutter speed if you anticipate that, for example, if my dog's running towards me and the sun is falling behind him, uh, then I know that I'm going to need to go with it like a one one thousandth of a second and i shoot manual for the most part so i am weighing all these factors and trying to go and have them all in my favor such that when that moment goes and occurs i will then be able to hopefully um 
a lot of times take a series of photos, in which case then I hope one of those was able to go and grab that perfect moment. So I, I, I'm never so bold to think that I could just time my finger click just right. Uh, so I try to move around, try to assess the lighting, and then when the moment seems to be happening, don't worry about the memory cards. Just grab a bunch of photos and then... Uh, for better or for worse, in post-production, just go through it and try to go and find uh, that one moment. And I think I think about those that that's that skill base, and then I think about um, the fact that you you are a marketing professional. Mm-hmm. That kind of seems like exactly the same skill base that would that you would use in that occupation as well. Is it so, the same kind of processes? How I would describe it is an economy of attention. Uh, so in marketing, what you're always trying to go in, in your head is that maybe this person doesn't care, is busy, is distracted, is being overwhelmed with other information. So how am I going to organize things to put the highest priority hook up front so that a person will then be willing to kind of learn a little bit more if it matches with something that they are interested in? And so in photography, um, I traditionally go and write a description that goes along with each and every one of my photos. And this has been, this has been uh, at sometimes uh, quite the burden because uh, it, it would be so easy to just take the photo a lot of times and spend remaining 20, 30, 45 minutes to sit down and really try and tell people uh, what I go and call the story behind the photo. And so if the photo good enough, it's interesting enough, then maybe I've earned attention for somebody to read the description and learn a little bit more about it. And then if both of those things went well, I hope that a person will maybe spend a little longer next time they see my photos because they know that I'm taking that role of editor very serious, that I know that you have a certain amount of attention, and that if I bring you a higher quality good each time I, I produce something, then, then now I'm hopefully going to see you again. And so it's, it's always just laying yourself down to that altar of attention and really trying to go and bring your best work each and every time, because that's, that's what's really going to create the relationship that you want uh, that hopefully really leads after years and years of doing the work with a core base of people that are really interested in your work. And it's, it really means the world to me when I go and see those familiar names show up in the comments that go and say, hey, I really like what you did right here. And I make, uh, again, a pretty consistent effort to go and write back to those folks and let them know, thanks. Thanks for reaching out. Because um, when I'm in the forest and I'm down on the ground in no pants, I mean, getting getting muddy and stuff like that, there's a little part of my brain that gets excited knowing like, I'm going to take this back to the people and I'm going to show them this slime mold and I'm going to go on YouTube and I'm going to do a 45 minute, you know, kind of like research about this. And I'm going to break that down to a quick two or three paragraphs that get you excited about this very mysterious thing that I've brought and lead before you type thing those skills that you have in that way of thinking is that something that you were taught or is that just who you are as a human that's a great question um nature nurture i'd like to think that i've always i've always had an eye for uh, since when I was very, very, I plastered my walls with so many pictures and posters uh, of, of things that I thought were were just special and unique. And then as I picked up the camera and and started to use the mouse, 
I was really, really excited when I started to do something that spoke to those things that I already loved. And then when I got feedback from people that, hey, you, it was actually my mom. Uh, mom would say, I was raised Jamie, even though I'm called James now, I was raised Jamie. She said, Jamie, your pictures, my son, are some nice. I love seeing them. I, I see what other photographers are putting out. They're not even as nice as you. You should be, you should be printing your pictures, my son. And so <laughs> I was the better part of taking pictures for five or six years before I ever even produced canvas uh, to go and sell. And as a matter of fact, the first one that I went and produced was just in, in my office for myself. You can see behind me here. I know listeners can't see that. But uh, one of my clients said, that's a beautiful picture you have of that lightning bolt there. Would you sell a copy of that? And I kind of... Ah, shucks. Like, yeah, I guess I can make you a copy of that. But it was actually my mom, years and years and years of chronic support and and boosting my ego that said, James, you really need to go and do more with this. And so when I did start to put things out there and I got that positive kind of feedback, uh, then that that loop just had me committed to go out again. So like, for example, last year, um, I did a drone photo shoot as well as a, an on-the-ground photo shoot for what we call setting day here in Anagan. Setting day is when our lobster fishermen all go out in the water and they're able to deposit all their traps. And so this wonderful thing happens where usually on May 1st at 6 a.m. in the morning, you've got better part of like 25 lobster boats that are all peeling out of the harbor and going towards their different designated kind of zones. So I went around with my digital SLR camera and was catching uh, just um, uh, pictures of all the different uh, people just having their morning coffee, having their chat and stuff like that. Then I realized I need to get the drone in the air because these boats are leaving a few minutes early. It's, it's like 5.55 and they're all going out. So I run over I get the drone into the air and I'm able to go and catch nothing less than a, a, a majestic scene of all these boats coming out. The setting day in this case had been delayed three different times. And so this morning featured calm waters with beautiful and just a pink sunrise. And as you're as you're staring at your, your cell phone, which is hooked up to your drone controller and you're looking at this, there's just a tingle in your spine as you realize I'm doing it. I'm capturing beautiful, beautiful images right here. And so I was able to go and produce um, a video on YouTube and if you just search my name on YouTube James Me Photography you'll come across that and uh, and then I got a bunch of a bunch of lobster fishermen reached out to me and, and told me like that was a mo like the the pictures that you went and captured of both the crews on the on the on the ground about to head out as well as what you captured in the air really spoke of of how we feel about the ocean of how we feel about this career choice and that for me is that's the pay dirt when you have people that go out of their way contact you directly and say the thing you did the thing you did it was really special and it meant a lot to me and it also turned out just from a from an actual kind of support perspective a lot of people got a hold of me and said hey i'd like to go and get a canvas print of it and so it's passion first. You, you you don't do the photography job because you're hunting for tech, at least at least the way that I've done it. But when when that boomerang comes around and and you do go and get people that are saying like, hey, the thing, the effort that you put in right there, that really that really meant something to me. And and when you're at a you know a, a dinner party or a gathering and somebody comes up to you and says, I really like that photo you posted today. That that was really quite special. Even though I've been designing web pages for 20 years and building logos, things like that, nobody's really come up to me at, at a party and made a big effort. Of, you really killed that web page. That was a really beautiful web page. <laughs> so even though that keeps the roof over my head and the wolves from the door, uh, 
the photography has really been the essence of James projected out into the world. And, uh, and it just keeps me excited when I look at other people's work that is, is exceptional to, to take another YouTube tutorial, to go through the settings on the camera, to try and go and understand how do we go on, how do I go into that level that those folks are at? Because uh, I've already got that sort of intermediate level of support and I think accomplishment. But now that I'm tickling at the gates of, of doing great work, then it's kind of go back to school, you know, go back to the tutorial, start learning, get another lens, some neutral density filters, like figure out, get get a better tripod, uh, a better gimbal. Then, uh, then slowly, but surely your work starts to go in and move in and you go and get more people, uh, that then actually reach out to you and invite you, uh, to really cool, uh, which, which is really, you know, the best. Let's squeeze in the second of your music choices. Let's have moon tricks home. Why this one? So I go to a music festival in British Columbia called Shambhala, and that place for me, it's a seven-day music festival, is a place where you can really be yourself and you can go and connect with perfect strangers in a way that I really haven't experienced in too many other places. Everybody's guard is down, the respect is at a maximum, and so this, this song is about family and, and friends and family and friends that I've yet to meet.
James, we've seen lots of changes in society over the last couple of years. What do you think is going to stick? And perhaps more importantly, what do you hope will stick? That's another great question. Um, I think the time that we have with the people that we love, I think that it was taken for granted. I think there was a, the accessibility of being able to go and just expect that you're going to run into the people every summer or every year. Um, that there's a vulnerability to this world that maybe encourages some level of appreciation. Uh, and so I think the next time that I go and see, for example, my youngest brother, Steve, which I haven't seen since the pandemic, I mean, that hug, that's going to be a deeper hug. That's going to be a more emotional hug. And that doesn't happen because um, it's been a long old tour to be away from a person that <laughs> is a, a part of my emotional bedrock. <laughs> and, uh, and I don't think I'm easily going to forget that the next time that we part ways that, you know, it, there's a lot taken for granted. So I think a lot of people are just going to be appreciating. Uh, a lot of people are going to be appreciating just having access to those that they love. And there's a lot of more superfluous stuff that's on top of that. But I think at the big, big base, it's about being able to go and hug it out and, and, uh, and ultimately just appreciate things without a context of fear. A different take on that vulnerability. What lessons do you think we can take for the bigger sorts of problems that we face and thinking things like climate change, social justice, to or from how we have responded to the pandemic? So I think we see that people acting in a collective manner is critical to individual outcomes. And I think people are going to be more sensitive to how we have to work together. Uh, that means sacrifice. That means not having all the things that you had before, but ultimately being able to pull together and make it through a difficult time. Uh, I don't know if I can speak to that in a more specific way, unless there's, unless there's a, a more focused kind of like question to go with it. No, that's great. I have some questions to end the show and not very much time so we're going to have to rattle through them what is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years it'd be it would be reaching people with my photography and particularly my words while i do get a lot of visibility for my photography i'd like to think that the the words that accompany it goes and gives somebody a little bit more to go and ponder, uh, whether that's man's relationship with nature or our relationships that we have with each other. I feel like my voice is getting stronger and my confidence to share maybe more intimate take on a given topic has grown. And in, in finding that kind of voice, I feel like I've been doing more to prepare myself to go and connect with more people and then hopefully align myself with causes that creates positive change in the world around. Uh, and, and I think that that's a role that I'm stepping more into as I start to kind of see those words on paper in front of me. And I start to recognize that maybe I have a gift that might have a place to help make a difference. So that's a perfect segue to the next question, which is what's your superpower? Observation. <laughs> 
<laughs> I've said this going back a better part of 10 years ago. Like uh, my superpower would be observation. It would be just paying attention to things that are happening. And then, uh, and then I guess because of my photography, because of my writing, being able to go and translate that hopefully into a vehicle that more people can connect with, that more people can get inside of and take that kind of trip with me. And also that first answer also is a segue to the third question, which is, do you consider yourself to be an activist? Yes. Yes. I, I would consider myself to be an activist because there's a lot of, there's a lot of good people in this world that are every day doing selfless acts. And I feel like if I have these powers of marketing, photography, of writing, then I want ease the burden on those shoulders and to shine a light onto those activities because I think we have blinders on as a society as to how much selflessness and love produces the reality that you enjoy. There's a lot of people that aren't taking a paycheck that are taking care of people, uh, seniors that are in retirement homes. There's a lot of moms that are doing incredible things to take care of children. I'm speaking from my, my own wife, my own family example, but definitely reflecting more on the things that my mother has done for me being a parent now. So uh, yeah, I'd like to think that I, I try to answer the call. When people reach out and they want help uh, from somebody with my specific abilities, then yeah, I, I wanna be there. Because at the end of the day, too, I've just noticed that time is moving really, really quick. And that as I kind of make my way towards that bed, wherever it is that I lie down and sort of say, okay, that's been my tour on this planet. I think the things that are going to matter to me the most is what I did to go and contribute and to hopefully go and create something more positive than, than what I found, which was, by the way, incredible. I've been super, super blessed. I've had what I go on with stacked blessing for my whole life. So a lot of times, because I'm standing on those shoulders of giants, the best thing that you can do is look around and be like, where do you need me? <laughs> if, you can, if you can encourage yourself every day of the week, just remind yourself like, okay, I have all these blessings. Now I'm going to listen for the call. When somebody needs me, I'm going to hopefully be in some state where I can, I can show up and do my best. You have the knack of answering the question, the next question. So maybe I should ask the next, next question. No, I'll ask this question. What, mot what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? I, uh, I do prayer every single day uh, where I, I give thanks uh, to first my mind to see the paths that lie before me, my heart to choose the best path, my body to carry me on the path that I've chosen and my soul to live the path that I'm on. This is in recognition uh, that I have already been gifted these super amazing tools, this mind, this heart, this body, this soul. And that uh, as long as as long as I can can hope that my friends and family are going to be taken care of, then then again, like get out there. And not only that, like there's in this life. So whether that's your breakfast I, right now, I'm doing like a, an oatmeal, raisin, walnut with maple syrup and cinnamon combo. That, get, that gets me going. That's going to be nice. And there's a lot of, and, and I have a beautiful family uh, and, and animals and a beautiful community. So all those things make it pretty easy for me to just get out there and, and do what's being asked of me. And then when I'm not being asked to do something, just get in the forest and get on the ground and start taking pictures of all the little things that other people might just drive by. And then show them that, remind them of that, that, hey, underneath all of this, it's just this giant web of life that's operating of its own accord. And all you to do is get out of its way. 
try to not mess it and then hopefully let it grow, let it unfold. And if you can encourage those things right there, you'll probably have a good sleep that night. So what is the biggest challenge or opportunity that you're looking forward to? Uh, the biggest challenge for me is trying to learn to be more patient with the people uh, that are around me. I'm thinking particularly of my family because uh, I do pretty good with clients. I do pretty good with people out there in the community. But man, oh man, does my news get pretty short with my family. So I've got a really great opportunity to just be a much more patient person. Uh, and then uh, in terms of future opportunities, I would say it's um, – it's about it's about trying to uh, trying to go and just share where possible. Share aggressively. Share share with reckless abandon. Like the the big opportunity is to is to try and recognize inside yourself how much stuff you hold on to, and that like I say, when you come to that day, when your journey is at its end, all that stuff is left at the door anyway. So what were you holding on to? The big opportunity is to try and like I say, just keep on giving. I do like that share with reckless abandon. Again, you've asked, answered the question before I asked it, but do you have any advice for our listeners? If you've got a cell phone and you take pictures, remember that it's the common scenes, it's the regular scenes in your life that are going to have the most value. As much as I try to take a beautiful landscape photo, a beautiful picture of a tree and whatnot, the pictures that I have of family members, some of which are no longer with me, those matter most to me so if that's your grandmother doing dishes like break out that cell phone and take a picture of her right because she might not be around for her. and you don't know when the next time is that you're gonna see her throw your arm around something put that camera on selfie mode and take that picture even if it's somebody that you just went and met because i've noticed that i forget a lot and i've had such a beautiful life that these bookmarks of the people that mattered most to me they age like the finest wine. And so I'd say take pictures of the people that are in your life because as the years go by, they just get so much more valuable. And you might not have anticipated <laughs> Thank you for that. Mawira. James, you're so right. Um, we lost our, uh, our old George, who is our chocolate Labrador, a couple of years ago. And I'd taken a photo of him the day before. And it was just this really weird feeling of, you know, I don't know how much longer we're going to have him for. And I so I actually took a whole bunch of photos of him. Um, but this one particular one of him and Jack laying on the floor, snuggling up together. And then the next day we lost him. And yeah, they're just, there's, there's, I don't think there's such a thing as taking too many photos of things and places and people or animals that we love. But um, I said at the beginning of the show, what a joy it's been for me to watch your life unfold um, in photos. And uh it just feels like such a privilege to see the world through your lens. And um, and for your mum, who, when she listens to this, thank you for encouraging James to be the person that he is to, to allow us to see the world through your lens. So it's been really lovely to speak to you. Thanks for joining us today, James. Thanks, guys. This has been a great first podcast ever. I really appreciate it. I hope you guys have a great day. All the love from Nova Scotia. Thank you.
never forget you in my prayers I never have a bad thing to report You're my picture on the wall You're my vision in the hall You're the one I'm talking to When I get in from my work You are my girl and you don't even know it I am living up the life of a poet I am the jester in the ancient court And you're the funny little frog in my throat Danger to myself, I've been starting fights At the party at the club on a Saturday night But I don't need to subdue them my girl She gets all the highlights Wrapped in pearls You're my picture on the wall You're my vision in the hall You're the one I'm talking to When I get in from my work You are my girl and you don't even know it I am living up the life of a poet I am the jester Spaces around the world, brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We're broadcast on Otago Access Radio every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday afternoon at three, and streamed and podcast on oat.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. This is Belle and Sebastian, Funny Little Frog. I'm Samuel Anasaurus Bates, with Mawira Karatai in Fakatani and in Antigosh, Nova Scotia. We've been joined by James Smeaton. Oh, that was blowing bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.